0: welcome to another episode of pilates elephants with your host Raphael bender today i want to talk about seven things great pilates instructors know that average instructors don't know now i don't have science on this Team Pilates, but uh, this has been my experience of uh, moving from becoming an av- from an average instructor to you know a very um, accomplished instructor, if I do say so myself. Uh, and this is what I observe in my students as they uh, grow, and what I observe in other instructors that I respect. So this is my very personal set of um, beliefs about what what a great instructor knows that an average instructor doesn't know. I'd love to know your feedback. Do you agree or disagree? Hit me on social media with a DM. You'll find my Instagram profile in the show notes. All right. So the first thing, now I'm going to give you a, this is a super quick rundown and I'm going to attempt to actually tell you not only what the things are, but how to do the thing all in I'm going to hope to get through this in under 20 minutes. So we'll see how we go. So thing number one is tissue healing times. This causes a lot of anxiety for, for a lot of instructors when they're not clear about, is you know, if somebody had an injury five years ago and they still get pain there, is that still, you know, is it still an injury? Um, so tissue healing times, very, very simple, but very powerful to understand. Injuries heal, broken bones heal, tendons heal, ligaments heal, muscle heals, fascia heals, everything in the human body heals. It doesn't always heal perfectly, but it always heals. Um, so unless you've got some kind of chronic inflammation situation like a tendonitis or something, but basically any kind of, uh, you know, traumatic injury will heal over time. Now, different tissues heal at different speeds. Skin and muscle heal in three to six weeks. So if you have a you know, muscle strain or cut yourself or whatever, you'd expect like three to six weeks later, depending on you know, various things like your age, how bad the wound is, um, you know, nutrition, rest, all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, your immune function, somewhere between three and six weeks, you'll be good as gold. So uh, what does that mean? It's like, well, if you've got a muscle strain and it's like 12 weeks old, it's healed. Right. So you can load it. You can, you can work it. Uh, if you've got a muscle strain that's one week old, it's not healed yet. So you can lightly load it, but you shouldn't, you know, put it through full load. All right. So muscles, three to six weeks bone. As you know, if you get a broken bone, that heals in about six to eight weeks. And then after that, it's healed and bone actually heals by regeneration. So a healed bone is As good as a never broken bone. Uh, Then finally we have connective tissue which is basically everything else. Now technically bone is actually connective tissue but I'm talking about soft connective tissue here so that includes tendons, ligaments, uh, spinal discs, uh, fascia, joint capsules, you know all of that stuff. Uh, Connective tissue and that heals much more slowly. 12 to 18 months is the healing time for connective tissue. So if you have a you know a ligament injury, uh, for example, in your knee, uh, you would expect the rehab process to be 12 to 18 months. Uh, so if you injured your ACL, your anterior cruciate ligament in your knee, six months ago, it's like you're not done yet. Even if you feel no pain, even if your knee seems to work off perfectly, that ligament is not fully healed. It hasn't reached its full strength yet. It's probably at about 50%. Capacity. Uh, so you shouldn't return to sport six months post ACL surgery, no matter how strong your muscles are. So knowing this is really valuable. Whereas if you, if you injured your, you know, ligament in your knee three years ago, well, it is fully healed. So you can load it. You can weight bear on it. You can pivot and strengthen it. So tissue healing times. Number two, how to get people stronger. Now, we say this word strength, getting stronger, a lot in Pilates, but my experience is most of us, and this was including me for the first five years of my career, didn't really understand what it meant. Uh, getting stronger means in, increasing or strength. Well, strength is the measure of your ability to exert maximal force. So you, getting to get stronger means you can exert more maximal force. So if you can do a plank for longer that doesn't, doesn't really mean you got strong. I mean, probably, yes, there is an increase in strength there, uh, but actually what you're measuring, if you did a plank for longer or if you can do more hundreds or whatever, we're measuring endurance, not strength. So to get stronger means you can actually just add more springs or you can take more springs off if that makes it harder. You know, you can you can actually do full push-ups now instead of kneeling push-ups. Um, you can go deeper in your lunge than you used to be able to go because you didn't have the strength to get out of it before. So... How to get people stronger in a nutshell? you have to bring that muscle group or that, that movement, you know the movement being like a push movement with the upper body or a pull movement with the upper body or some kind of squat or lunge or a you know curl up, you know some kind of back bend, you know whatever type of movement, you need to bring your muscles to a very near to a point of fatigue, like failure in the movement. So, if you are doing, say, uh, you know, push-ups is a great example. I think for many of us, because many of us have had the experience of trying to do, say, a full push-up or the tenth full push-up or the fiftieth full push-up, and getting to a point where you can't do that, right? Even on kneeling push-ups, if you can do ten but not eleven, okay, that where you literally can't push up off the floor. That is failure. You need to get your, and, and the stimulus for increasing strength is high levels of mechanical tension on individual muscle fibers, which only happens in the last, you know, five to eight reps before failure. So if you're not getting within like five to eight reps of failure, you're actually probably not generating a stimulus to increase strength, right? So let's think about footwork, for example. Most people, if you're doing footwork on like two, two and a half, three, springs, something like that, if you can do like 30 reps and your thighs are burning at the end, but you could have done another 10 or another 20 or another 30, right? You are not getting stronger. You're just, I mean, you're burning calories. It's, you know, there's some significant benefits to doing that movement. It's way better than sitting on the couch, you know, drinking wine and eating Cheetos, but you're not going to increase strength to any significant degree without bringing that muscle group, in this case, the quads, mainly the quads, but, you know, a little bit of glutes and adductors and and hamstrings and calves, to, you know, within a few reps of failure. So it's the last five to eight reps before you hit that point of failure, the point where you can't do another one. Those are the reps that stimulate Strengthening right? So if you stop, you know, 10 reps before failure, you don't get really probably any stimulation. If you stop eight reps before failure, you might get a little bit of stimulation. Three reps before failure, you get a lot of stimulation. So if you stop, two to three reps before failure, that is where you're going to maximize your stimulus for strengthening. And two to three reps before failure is where you start to slow down involuntarily, right? So you're trying to go faster, but you can't go faster. Like imagine those push-ups again, you're like, you're doing, you know, 11, 12, 13, and you're pushing it out and it's going slow, right? That feeling of slowing down involuntarily, that happens in the last two to three reps before failure typically. It varies with different people and different muscle groups, but roughly kind of sort of. That's when you start to noticeably slow down. That's when you've achieved maximum strengthening stimulus. So you don't need to go all the way to failure, but you need to get to that point where you start to slow down. Whether it burns or not is neither here nor there. All right, so that's how to get people stronger. Do that when you do it once, that is one set. Wait a few minutes, do it again, that is two sets. Etc. Do three plus sets per week. So you could do one set per class, three classes a week, three sets per class, once per week, whatever. If you do more, you'll get faster, stronger faster, but three sets plus per week of bringing a muscle group to near fatigue. That's when you start to slow down. That is how you get stronger. Next, how to increase flexibility. This one is very simple. Uh, if you do strength training through full range of motion, you get more flexibility as well. Right. So if you just do the thing you're doing to get stronger, but you do it through full range, you will get more flexible. The other thing you can do is just hold that end range position in a static stretch uh, for a minimum of five minutes per week per body part, and you will get more flexible. And the more you do it, the the, the more flexible you will get. That one's really easy. How to in how to enhance motor learning. Motor learning is uh, the learning of movement skills. And, uh, you know, in Pilates, we talk about cueing a lot. And cueing is, you know, using our words or imagery or hand gestures or whatever to help somebody learn something. Okay, so that is part of how we can enhance motor learning. But there are other things we can do to enhance motor learning. And there are three broad things that we can do. So one of them is cueing, and it is Using external cues, so cues that focus the person's attention on a point outside their body that is related to the result of the movement. For instance, push the carriage away from the stopper, reach the straps towards the footbar. those types of cues that involve focusing the attention on something outside the body and talk about the result of the movement. Press the mat into the floor, press the back of your t-shirt evenly into the mat, press your waistband to the mat, um, or you know those those types of cues that involve using external objects that are a result of the movement. So that is external cueing. The second one of the three things we can do to enhance motor learning is to enhance expectation of success when people expect to succeed, they're more likely to succeed because they get a little release of dopamine, which makes them persist longer and try harder, and also enhances the consolidation of short term memory into long term memory, so it makes them learn better as well as try harder. So when people expect to succeed, they are more likely to succeed, so how do you help someone succeed? Uh, expect to succeed? You say, hey, you're really good at this, (laughs) are you sure this is your first time? You say, hey, most of my clients get this really quickly, and I think you will too. So those types of exercise, those types of uh, compliments are really good. Basically catch them doing something right and tell them about it. I love the way you are, you know, bringing those straps together very evenly. Not many people get that on the first night well done. Uh, so the th- the third thing, first thing is external cueing. Second thing is uh, expectation of success. And the third way to enhance motor learning is to give autonomy. So give people choice in how they learn, how they uh, work. And the choice doesn't even have to be related to the task. So it could be, would you like a green flex band or a blue flex band? Would you like, you know, uh, the reformer in the corner or the one in the middle? Would you, you know, like me to turn the music up or down? Do you like the temperature in this room? you know like any kind of autonomy um will enhance people's uh, e- uh you know, effort and engagement uh, and you can also give them choices related to the task so you know choose your own spring settings stop when you feel yourself starting to slow down like you know adjust your knees up or down so that you think you can do about 10 reps so you can give people autonomy over their load or their range of motion or whatever as well but you can also just give them autonomy over things that are peripheral to the lesson. All right, so we've been through tissue healing times. We've been through how to get people stronger. We've been through how to increase flexibility. And we've been through how to enhance motor, motor learning. The next and fifth of the seven things that great instructors know, that average instructors don't know, in my view, is how to set and track goals. Uh, this is really, I think, absolutely amazingly powerful uh, once you understand this, because you can use it for yourself and you can also use it for your clients, and it really, really works. So setting and tracking goals, I'm sure you've heard of something called SMART goals, which means specific, measurable, uh, achievable, uh, realistic, and time-bound, um, and uh, so setting SMART goals has a lot of evidence behind it. It really does work. Um, but not just setting goals, but tracking goals. So um, uh, not just setting it and then it's like leaving it, but actually setting a behavioral goal. So it's not just setting like a result goal, like I want to lose 10 pounds or do my first pull up or be able to touch my toes or whatever, but setting a behavioral goal of I'm going to do this behavior every day or every week. So that I achieve this outcome goal, and then checking. I think here's the biggest um, like tip I have for setting goals um, is to check for is it emotionally doable. So that this is the achievable bit, right? And the A in SMART. Uh, and so my tip is ask the person on a scale of one to ten, with one being like there's no way I'm going to do this, and ten being I'm 100% certain I can do this. Okay, how confident are you that you can do this and do it every day or every week, like you? setting a goal right and if they give you a number of 8 or higher that's that's a, that's achievable right that's emotionally doable if they give you a number less than 8 then choose an easier goal Right. So what can we do to make this easier? Maybe we'll do it for five minutes instead of 10 minutes. Maybe we'll just do one exercise instead of two exercises. Maybe we'll just do it every second day instead of every day. Right. So make it easier and smaller until they go, Oh, yes, that's a nine out of 10. That's a 10 out of 10. I could definitely do that. Uh, and then track, right. So next time they come in, say, okay, you said you were going to do this thing, you know, Mondays, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Did you do the thing? Right. Did you do it those five days? Tell me yes or no. Did you do it those five days? And you don't have, it's not you like, uh, like, uh, judging them or saying you're a bad person or you're a good person or anything like that. It's just literally just asking them a factual question. Yes or no? Did you do the thing you said you were going to do? All right. That's how to set and track goals. How to give guideline based care for people in pain. Uh, guideline based care is unbelievably simple. It really, really is simple. Um, uh, when I'm talking about guideline based care, I mean that care, which is recommended by all high quality clinical practice guidelines, like the American College of Sports Medicine guidelines for exercise testing and prescription, 11th edition, uh, and like many other guidelines around the world. And the guideline based care for low back pain is simply reassurance and advice to stay active, reassurance and advice to stay active, uh, and avoid Now, within that, uh, reassurance, you know, we part of reassuring people is avoiding alarming diagnostic labels and specific pathoanatomical explanations for the cause of people's pain. So uh, reassurance, don't worry, you'll be right, you'll be fine, let's keep you moving. Okay, so those are the guidelines for care of low back pain. Now, we need to work that with our tissue healing time. If someone's got an a acute injury to their low back. They've pulled a muscle in their low back or something. Well, if it's within three to six weeks of the injury, we need to, you know, uh, respect those tissue healing times. Once it's beyond that tissue healing uh, period, then we give guideline based care for low back pain, which is reassurance and advice to stay active. So that's the sixth thing. And the seventh skill that I believe great instructors know that average instructors don't yet know on the whole is that rehab is just graded exercise. And by that, I mean uh, rehabilitation, so say post-surgical rehabilitation for the hip or knee or shoulder or whatever, whatever it might be after a hamstring tear or a labral tear or a rotator cuff tear, a disc bulge, a stenosis, whatever, whatever. you're rehabbing somebody from an ACL injury in their knee, uh, joint replacement, et cetera. So re- rehabilitation is simply graded exercise, which means the exercise is gradually increased, right? Start easy, build slowly, start with what they currently can do, however low that is, and then gradually build it over time. So rehab is just graded exercise, so it builds gradually over time to restore strength, range of motion, and control. So you start with each of those domains, strength, range of motion, and control, uh, and you progress each of those domains. So you start with a very, very low load, what they can tolerate. And then you gradually increase the load over time. You start with a very small range of motion, whatever they can tolerate, and you gradually increase that over time. Start with a very easy to control movement, and then you gradually increase the control challenge over time. Okay, so we might start with a very movement that's very stable, that's bilateral. You know, say like if we're having a knee injury, for example, you might start with a squat or footwork rather than a single leg exercise. That's very stable. Okay, so the feet are on the floor, for example. Uh, and that is single direction, only moving forwards and backwards. So no side to side, no twisting, uh, nothing uneven, nothing asymmetrical about it. Uh, and that is a very easy control challenge, relatively speaking. Okay, and we progress gradually towards, you know, standing on one leg, changing direction, going sideways, adding rotation, being more dynamic with it. So those are the seven skills. Now, this has been a lightning round. (laughs) I'm not sure how long it's taken. I think we're at about the 19-minute mark. Uh, So seven things great instructors know that average instructors don't know. Tissue healing times, how to get people stronger, how to increase flexibility, how to enhance motor learning, how to set and track goals, how to give guideline-based care for back pain, and rehab is just graded exercise. So that's my list. Love to know if you agree or disagree. Reach out to me on social media. Let me know your thoughts. Hope you found this helpful. If you did or didn't find this helpful, I'd love to know that as well. And if you did find it helpful, you know what? It would be so great if you could leave a written review on the podcast app that you'll listen to this on. If you hit up five stars and then write some kind words, that will really help other people find it. It'll help me grow the podcast and spread the evidence-based knowledge within the Pilates world. All right. Thanks very much. Much love. And I'll see you in the next one. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide, or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our uh, link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.